0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. We are so um, excited that you would want to celebrate with us together. My name is Tim. If you haven't already gone there, please take uh, your Bible or electronic device. You can go to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. That very day, they had gone to Jerusalem. Their world was quite a bit different than ours. So, seven mile journey, you don't do it by a car, you do it on foot. And they had gone probably to stay with family and friends for the Passover. This particular year, this very special Jewish event would be like no other. It would have been like 9-11 is to us, unforgettable. And so much emotion, especially for Cleopas and his companion. Maybe they had not been at the actual site. They had not been to the hill Golgotha where he was crucified, but they had heard the reports There, Jesus on a cross between two thieves, put there like a criminal, in absolute brutal Roman torture. They had thought he was a prophet, and he had stirred up so much hope within them. They had watched what he did, they had heard his words, never seen a man like this do the things he did, never hear what he taught. It stirred up hope in them, and they wondered, could this? Could he be the one? Is he the Messiah? the promised one, the king. All of us in our story, our own personal stories, are really looking for some kind of savior or redeemer, someone, something, that, that job, that promotion, that move, that relationship, that it takes us to another level. It makes things right. And the Messiah ultimately makes everything right. They had hope for this in Jesus, but he had been crucified. Now we get the privilege of the writer's perspective. We are above the story. We're not in it. And so we can can see what is transpiring from an outside perspective. And as we read the beginning of the story, we see that what they hope for, what they desire is actually right in front of them and with them. Luke 24, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They don't know it yet, but Jesus is alive. And as we look at this interaction, we're gonna see that the resurrection is historical, the resurrection is scriptural, and the resurrection is personal. And you put all that together, we're gonna to see that this story is absolutely transformational. We begin with historical, and, and Luke begins his gospel there with these words from the very start. He says, "Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's who he's writing to, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We are familiar today with the the phrase fake news. We have trouble believing in news that is like current, right in front of us today. And so it's very easy for us to be skeptical, spe- skeptical about somebody who lived like 2,000 years ago. The writer of this story, Luke, has told us what the purpose of him writing this gospel is for. He wants us to be absolutely certain of what is written. He names names, he names dates, he names uh, times and places, details. There's never any question in Luke's mind that Jesus walked on the earth, that he was a real person in real history. We may struggle with that today, but Luke is not the only one, and you can go to outside Christian sources. Uh, Josephus, he was a historian who lived around, was born around the time of Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, and he said this, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher, such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. In Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had him condemned to the cross. Those that loved him and at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day. As the divine prophets had foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day." Now sometimes Josephus' words are are doubted to some extent. Um, he exaggerated, was prone to that. Uh, some people believe that Christians came in and edited some of his works. But it's hard to discount that uh, he had a belief that Jesus existed and some of his phrases such as in the tribe of Christians so named from him were phrases, similar phrases used by the Roman historian Tacitus and also Pliny the Younger who was a Roman governor. So, So Jesus lived, he existed, and Luke presents that as not even being worth arguing about and then presenting him that this Jesus rose from the dead. You can be certain of it, according to Luke. And if you are a Christian today, you had, you had better be certain of it because without the certainty, without Jesus rising from the dead, we have no reason to be here as followers of Jesus Christ. Our faith has no substance. Our faith has no meaning. Our faith has no purpose. And those aren't my words, those are the words of the Apostle Paul. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, let's go do something else. And Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 15 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Last of all, Paul writes, he appeared to me. Luke has recorded this amazing story of the road to Emmaus, but he wasn't there. So, where did he get this information from? Who's his eyewitness testimony? Well, who does he name? He names Cleopas. The name Cleopas can also be known as Clopas. And we read in John's Gospel that Mary, the wife of Clopas, was one of the women who were at the site where Jesus was crucified, standing there close to him. It appears, and many, many suggest, that Cleopas, the husband to Mary, that a couple of their sons were, were most likely disciples of Jesus Christ himself. So we have a man here who's like on the inside. His family's been on the inside in relationship with Jesus. And Luke names him so that if you want to go and check out the story, just go talk to Cleopas. And he'll verify about a crucified and then resurrected Savior. It is said that we can be pluralistic about our values, but we cannot be pluralistic about facts. You have a birth date. If you were born on June 6th, you can't also be born on November 11th. It's one or the other. And the day you were born is factual. Factual. You can't be pluralistic about that. Well, this year I want to be born because, you know, you pick a a time when you're on holiday or when your family's around, it'd be just nice to have a birthday when they're around. It doesn't work that way. You were born on a certain day. It's factual. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, either he rose from the dead or he did not rise from the dead. And Christianity presents itself in the biblical story. It claims that he rose from the dead with eyewitnesses who can verify that testimony. It's not rooted in feeling. It's not rooted in legend or mythology. It's proclaimed to be an historical fact, and in so doing, it demands a response from each and every one of us. Tim Keller wrote the book, The Reason for God, and in it, he talks about, um, like people people are offended by the Bible at times, and, and you can read it and be offended by certain things, what it says about sex, or what it says about many, and you can be offended by it. And Tim Keller would say, if you can, just put your, put your ethical dilemmas aside, your, your offenses where the Bible offends you, just put it aside and ask yourself this question Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because he says, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to have to deal with all the Bible, but it'll all sort itself out. Well, that the crux of the matter is this Did Jesus rise from the dead? Case in point, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul hated this newfound faith, Christianity. Uh, uh, didn't like it all that was going on. See, it, it, it represented everything, uh, an upheaval of everything that he was about. With the temple, the upheaval of the temple, its meaning, sacrifices, and the law. All the things he cared about deeply as a Jewish Pharisee. And so he is so committed against this, he, he crucifies or he persecutes the Christians. But then what happens on his own road, the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Savior, and everything sorts itself out. He becomes a Christian, a Christ follower, a church leader, an apostle extraordinaire. Why? Because he met the risen Savior. Gary Habermas is widely known as an expert on the resurrection. If you've ever uh, read the book Case for Christ or seen the movie Case for Christ, um, Lee Strobel, who was a Chicago reporter, his wife became a Christian, and he wanted to prove it was all uh, myth and debunk it, and so he went on this uh, tour to interview different people. One of the people he interviewed was Gary Habermas because he's a widely respected person an authority on the resurrection, Habermas wrote a book called The Risen Jesus and Future Hope, and in it he lists a number of historical facts that virtually all scholars, regardless of faith, you don't have to be a Christian, they agree on this. First of all, that Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. Secondly, that the disciples had experiences that they thought were actual appearances of the risen Jesus. Thirdly, the disciples were thoroughly transformed, even being willing to die for this belief. It's, it's an amazing turnabout from those that had fled from the, the, the Savior Jesus that they all of a sudden were willing to die with great courage. Four, the apostolic proclamation of the resurrection began very early when the church was in its infancy. It didn't develop over decades. It wasn't a legend. They started to proclaim it right away. Fifth, James, the brother of Jesus and a former skeptic, became a Christian Christian due to an experience that he believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. And sixth, Saul, who I mentioned, we know as Paul, the church persecutor, became a Christian due to an experience that he believed was also an appearance of the risen Jesus. Jesus. Lawyer Sir Lionel Lucku was for 14 years named by Guinness as the most successful lawyer in the world. He spent years analyzing the evidence of the resurrection and this was his conclusion, and I quote, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Lawyer speaking. The fruits of the gospel... The forgiveness that we receive, the life that we receive, is only available to us today because of the objective reality that Jesus Christ entered into history. He died on a Roman cross. He really died. And he really rose again. Your life, my life, the life of the church rests on the historical accomplishment of Jesus Christ. It's historical. Secondly, it's scriptural. So as we go back to the story, um, these two men are, are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey, and Jesus appears. And just taking the story at first blush, like it's 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 almost comedic. It's funny. Because, I mean, that wasn't an unnatural thing for, for to happen where people are walking on a road, someone else joins you, you start to have a conversation. Now remember, this is Jesus. This is the, the risen Savior, Jesus. And he joins them. And he says to them, um, what is this conversation you guys are having together? Because they've been talking, you know, you, you debrief something that you've experienced when it's, it's so traumatic. You debrief it and so they're walking and they're debriefing, they're talking about this and Jesus joins them and says, you know, like, like what is this that you guys are talking about? As if he knows nothing. It'd be like uh, for those of you that are cooks and maybe like a lady like Julia Childs walks into your kitchen and she says, oh, what is this cooking thing you're doing? What is, like, what is that all about? I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to me. Then one of them named Cleopas answers him, like, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who has no idea what went on this weekend? <laughs> Jesus had no idea. Like, isn't that, like, isn't that funny? And Jesus says, what things? What things? Tell me more. And with that question, he teases out from them their summary of what has transpired this weekend, how they had believed in, in Jesus as a prophet who did great and mighty things and they, their chief priests and their rulers had, had just had it in for them and so they had him um, beaten and crucified and they had hoped that he was the Redeemer of Israel, but he had died. And now you know, dealing with that and now messing everything up. The, some of their women had gone to the tomb that morning and they had found the tomb empty and had said that they had seen angels who told them that he was risen and they came back and to the disciples and told them and they ran back to the tomb and found it as it was so. They just didn't know what to do with all this. Verse 25, Luke chapter 24, and Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why would the scriptures matter? Why did Jesus point them to the scriptures? Every weekend when we meet together as a church family, one of the things we spend time doing is looking at the Bible, looking at the Scriptures. We don't look at uh, the finer points of a Stephen King novel, picking that apart. We don't spend the morning uh, looking at Seth Godin's great principles on marketing or how to be a success. Our perpetual textbook when we meet together, and and I would hope if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the the perpetual textbook of your life and your home, your family, is the Bible, is the Scriptures. Because in the Bible, the, the Scriptures proclaim to us who God is and what He's about. They reveal God to us. And they reveals to us who we are, and it reveals to us the God story. As we have said as we're going through this series called Kingdom, the story, that from beginning to end, from Genesis to to the book of Revelation where it finishes, there is one unified theme of a God who loves his creation, a God who is good and created it good, but mankind rebelled and, and messed everything up. But God didn't leave us where we're at. He sent a a promise that one day everything would be made right. And so he never gives up on people. He's going to rescue them. And he, he, through his prophets, promises a rescuer. And he does through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 27 again. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. You have to know the resurrected Jesus. Now when Jesus is talking, when it's referring to the scriptures here, it's referring to the Old Testament. That's all they had. So Jesus is talking, when he's talking about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And once you have this, what I would call an interpretive key, that the Old Testament is perpetually talking about a crucified, then risen Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, King. When you get that, when you see that that happens in Jesus, you go back and you can look at the Old Testament and it all starts to make sense. Because as Jesus said, it's all about him. It's all been pointing to him. Genesis 3, verse 15, right in the, the beginning of the first book, after Adam and Eve have rebelled against God, There's this, these words like that there'll be a serpent crusher. Jesus is the serpent crusher. He will bruise the, he will stomp on Satan's head, and, and the serpent will bite his heel. Jesus is the serpent crusher. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is the one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. Jesus is the new and better Moses. He is the one who will ultimately deliver his people. He'll feed them in the desert. And he'll give them a new law from the mountain. Jesus is the new and better Israel that doesn't sin, doesn't rebel against God in the the desert, but under temptation, completely obeys. Jesus is the new temple. He's He's the ultimate temple. He's the meeting place between God and man. It happens in him. And we could go on and on. It all points to Jesus. But he's also the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, who will be bruised and beaten and take on himself the transgressions of his people. He's also the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that Abraham will not have to make when God himself will provide a lamb, not his son Isaac. He's the Passover lamb whose blood will be shed so that God can pass over and those who believe in him will not suffer wrath. It's Jesus. He had to suffer. He had to die. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and so he is the king victorious He is the ultimate victorious king. He's the son of David who will rule and reign forever as the king. Exalted to the right hand of the father. He's the fulfillment. And as Jesus explains to them, their hearts start to burn within them because he's opened up to them the truth of all that they've hoped for, all that they've longed for, all that they've wanted it's found in him. The resurrection is historical. It's scriptural. It's also personal. Let's think about this story again. Jesus has risen from the dead. What would we expect the first thing that he would do? I mean, risen from the dead. You've gone through this horrendous experience on Friday. It's Sunday. You've risen from the dead. What do you do Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. That's, that's what he's doing. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to join two of my disciples that are going for a walk from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. I'm going to go for a walk. So he joins them on the road, Cleopas and his companion. They matter to him. Like they matter. He picks two. I'm going to spend the first part of my, my resurrection experience, I'm going to spend the first part of it walking with two disciples. Cleopas and his companion, and they get near to their destination. We read in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, "Stay with us, for it is toward the evening and the day is now far spent." I find that interesting because Cleopas and his companion could have been very much offended by Jesus. Don't gloss over what he said to them. "You foolish And slow of heart to believe. They could have been offended by that and just say, oh, who do you think you are? And and have the conversation end there. And when Jesus, you know, says he wants to go on further, they could have gone, please do. But no, their hearts were burning within them. There was something about this conversation, this truth, it was resonating in their hearts and rather than be offended they urge Jesus to stay you see as we encounter as we encounter god as we encounter jesus there's this there's this part to the to the relationship where how we respond to him matters and so maybe you're here today and you've never had a relationship with jesus or maybe you're here today and your relationship with jesus like you've just walked away from it it matters how we respond to him we just can't be indifferent They urged him to stay. Like, they had to want this relationship. So he went and he stays with them. And normally the host would break the bread, but everything's turned upside down in this story. Their world is so turned upside down, Jesus, hosts, plays the role of the host. He breaks the bread. And it says in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Now, some people say that uh, as Jesus broke the bread, you know, and his hands would have been stretched out. Maybe they would have seen the nails. I mean, we don't really know what it was. But the scripture tells us their eyes were opened. And then he vanishes from their sight. (laughs) Dr. Joshua Swamidass, he writes on the scientific reason to believe in the resurrection. But listen to what he says. The question of the resurrection is more like an opportunity to fall in love than a scientific inquiry. There is evidence, but the resurrection cannot be studied dispassionately. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it reorders everything. Just like falling in love, it changes our view of the world. They had been sad. Their hopes had been dashed. But when you meet the resurrected Savior, when you meet the risen Jesus. Verse 32, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. As a teenager, that was quite a while ago, I'll admit it. As a teenager, there was this... um, Christian artist who was like a prophet to the Christian church and he would write songs that would really challenge the Christian community. His name was Keith Green. Tragically, he died early uh, through a plane crash, but he wrote, one of the lines he wrote in one one of his songs still sticks with me today and it's this. Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. As a teenager, that really stuck with me. Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. I thought of those words this morning as my alarm went off at 5.55. Jesus rose from the grave. I can get out of bed this morning. See, what Green was getting at and what really is true is when you believe in the resurrection, when it's a reality in your life, it just, it transforms everything. And these two men who had been sad, whose hopes had been dashed, They race back another seven miles. They go back another seven miles. That very hour, it says, they had to go back. They're energized because Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead and they're energized and they run back to Jerusalem to proclaim the good news. This is what the resurrection does to you when you really believe it, when you really own it. It transforms your world. It's historical, it's scriptural, it's personal and when it's those things, it becomes transformational. Simon Lacu, uh, the lawyer admitted at one point in his life, although he was convinced of the resurrection, and, and I'll quote him, he said, I was actually a head Christian rather than a heart Christian. A Sunday believer moving comfortably along in my deep rut. But that changed when it became personal. He started to search the scriptures and investigate it, almost like a lawyer, and in doing that, his heart started to burn. God started to reveal himself to him, and and it transformed him. Later in life, he said, I am devoting my time to traveling for Jesus. By the grace of God, I have traveled close to a million miles to preach the precious gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. I want only two things in life, to go and give witness to my faith and to preach, to do some little work in winning people to the cross of Jesus. To me, this would be a great climax to my life, a means of thanking God for his many kindnesses to me by seeking to give others the opportunity of the happiness and peace of mind I now enjoy because of my abiding faith. Transformative. See, when, when we understand, when we get the meaning of the resurrection, what it means, what it means is that God's word is, is really true, that everything, every promise we read in the Old Testament, God has showed himself to be faithful, that even when it seems like he's not at work, that he is. And he worked in the, in the darkest hour, he worked the most amazing work through his son, Jesus Christ. So what it means today for us is as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that the work of Jesus is applied to our lives that in Christ we our sins are forgiven and we enter into a new relationship with God through his blood a new covenant a new relationship our past is taken care of in that relationship our future is proclaimed to us that one day we will live in eternity with Jesus in our midst There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. The mixture of good and evil that exists in our world today will be completely different because there will be no evil. It'll only be His goodness in our midst. It means that for those of us that have people we love that have gone ahead of us, those who are in Christ, that we will one day with them be reunited with all those who believe in Jesus Christ together. What a hope! It means we get a new body. Those of you whose bodies are starting to complain and ache, and it means you get a new resurrected body, just like Jesus' body. It's incredible what the resurrection means, but most of all, it means that Jesus rules, he reigns. He is the king that was promised, and he can reign in our lives today so that his kingdom ways, the life, that, that resurrection life, can actually be part of our experience in the here and now. Our past is taken care of. Our future is taken care of. So is our present. If you're here today and, and you, you, um, you don't have that living relationship with Jesus, you've never entered into that relationship, this morning um, I'm going to say a prayer in, in a minute or two here and I'm going to invite you, if, if today's your day, if today's that very day for you, that you can just pray along with me as I pray. And it's very simply that we would give our lives over to Jesus, that we would let Him rule and reign in our lives. And, and, and when you do that, you, you just can, you know, that you can receive His forgiveness and you can receive His life. And everything changes when we give our lives over to Jesus. But as I've been thinking about this message, this, this isn't just for those who don't, have never known Jesus, never walked in a relationship with him. It's also for, for his, his family that there'll be some of us in here, we've been going to church for like 10, 15, 20, maybe longer years, and, and you know, your, your, your relationship with God is just, maybe it's just been intellectual. Maybe you're just, you're, you're, in many ways, you're so far from him and you know it. God wants to bring you to that place where his resurrection life is real in your life today. It's not just something you hope for in the future, but it's your present now. And I truly believe if you just say to God, God, I want, I want you to rule in my life. I want you to reign. I want more of you. And you just humble yourself before him. I have to believe from, from my experience and talking to people, my own personal experience, that his resurrection life and power will come into your, into your life in a way maybe that you've never experienced before. So I'm gonna ask us just to bow our heads in prayer. And as I pray, if, if you just want to have that kind of communication with God, you just join in with me. Heavenly Father, we just come before you um, today. Lord, it's such a momentous occasion that we are remembering. We want to praise you and thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. Today we say we believe that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. That he died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. And that you might rule and reign in our lives. And we experience your resurrected power. Today, God, we're saying yes to you. We're saying because we believe you are who you are and that Jesus rose from the dead, we're saying yes, rule in our lives, break the bread, take responsibility. God, have have your way in us. And fill us, Lord, with your provision of your Holy Spirit.